All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Ah, it's a real pleasure and an honor to be back with you here. Um, we just love this church because you're so keen and open for the Holy Spirit. And uh, like George and Banna describes this place as a Winnie-friendly church. Because his wife, Winnie, got just so, what's the word, obliterated by the Holy Spirit that she just was too much for a lot of people. But you guys have a high tolerance for more. How many want more tonight? You really do want more. Well, the good news is God wants you to have more. That's, that's the good news. So, um, hey, let's, let's, uh, <clears throat> let's open our Bibles. And uh, I, I want to talk to you tonight about a topic called Recover All. And there's a bit of a story behind it because... <clears throat> A few months ago, I went to a, a church in a nearby city, and uh, we're, they were still all pretty much locked down with COVID, and everybody was social distancing, and so the vast majority of them were online, and uh, I think there was like 50 people in the meeting all spaced out. And so for a speaker, this is not conducive to bringing the best out of you, let's say. And uh, then they, they assigned me a topic to speak on, which I don't know if it had ever happened before. Most people say, oh, just speak on whatever you want, or we have a theme that, you know, you can pick up on, that sort of thing. But the topic they gave me was this, uh, go and recover all. And... Yeah, I thought for a moment, I said, well, I know where that is in Scripture because it's, it's talking about David and, and Ziklag. And it's a, it's a really, really good story for where we are right now because now that we're barely out of the COVID problem and, you know, there's still, still countries like Korea and Japan that are very, very restricted. They're kind of behind the curve when it all went around the world and so on, and uh, it's still quite restrictive. So we're not out of the woods totally yet, but, but recover all. How many would like to get all this behind us so we could just get going again? That's kind of in our heart, isn't it? Well, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 29. First Samuel, I'll find it in a minute here. And it's the story of King David. And um, when we read about the life of David, it gives us insight into the workings of God. And so, you know how David got started. He's He's just a young kid, about 15 or so, and he's minding his own business, sent up looking after the sheep out in the hills. And uh, the, unbeknownst to him, the prophet Samuel came by, 
because God had told him to anoint one of the sons of Jesse uh, to be the new king of Israel. And uh, he went through the six older ones, and he said, haven't you got any more boys? And yeah, well, the, the young one's up looking after the sheep. Samuel said, go get him. We won't eat until he comes. And when, when David came down wondering, you know, what's going on, Samuel pours a horn of oil over his head, and thus saith the Lord, you're the next king of Israel. And it says the Spirit of the Lord came mightily on David that day. And that was his introduction to the Holy Spirit at that level. And I think he was a worshiper and somewhat anointed before that. He'd taken out a lion and a bear and things. And so after his anointing, um, things, things turned pretty good. So he took out Goliath, the one everyone's afraid of. And that's, that's a great story. How many love that story? And uh, Goliath is cursing him with his gods. And David says, I come after you in, in the name of the Lord God of the armies of heaven. And, and took him out with, a, with the first guided missile. And uh, from there, he's promoted in the army. From there, he marries one of King Saul's daughters. And uh, life's looking pretty good, isn't it? And that's what you'd expect when you get a prophetic word, right? But then the jealousy of King Saul kicked in, and it went from bad to worse. And the next thing you know, David's an outlaw, and it got so bad <clears throat> that he, can, he can't even hide anymore. He can't get away anymore. And, and he says, I'm going to have to leave the country. And he left and went over to the Philistines, who were the arch enemies of Israel, really. And they put him on a little remote city, uh, sort of far away. And that's where he was surviving. And uh, the day came where Philistia, Philistia is going to war against Israel. And so David and his men feel an obligation to go and support the king that had given them refuge. And, but the others are having no part of it, nothing doing. What better way to be restored to his king than with the heads of these men, he said, send them home. And so they're, they're upset about that already. They're, they're rejected from that. And they go back home, which I think was about two days' journey, only to find their city burned to the ground. Ziklag is burned to the ground. The wives are gone. The kids are gone. Everything's gone. All the stuff is gone. And David's own men are now talking about stoning him. I don't know why we followed you. You've just been one problem after another and we've, you've never led us into peace and the kingdom has never come. It's been all these years, and, and still here we are, and we're outlaws, and now we have nothing. And they want to stone him. 
And David did something that's very, very smart when you're having your worst day. And that was he inquired of the Lord. Lord, what do we do? What do we do? And so 1 Samuel 20, 29, rather, verse, verse 20. I think I've got it right. <clears throat> um, let, me, let me change that and say <clears throat> chapter 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and turned it and, and burned it rather with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from the small to the great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with them lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Anaham the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and his 600 men were with them, and they came to the brook Bezer. And I won't read the rest of it. 200 of the guys were too exhausted to carry on, so they stayed with the stuff while David and his men pursued. They found one of their stragglers who led them to the Amalekites who were partying it up and celebrating in all their loot. And David and his men overtook them and recovered all. <clears throat> and I think there's a mindset that comes upon us sometimes. If, if we could just get out of this mess and get back to what we had, we'd be content. Anybody relate to that? You know, in COVID, people lost their jobs. They, some of them lost family members. Uh, Brazil was devastated by it. So was Mexico. And, uh, you know, church leaders that we knew well from Mexico died of COVID because of this and that and the other. And there were stories about people were taken to the hospital and you couldn't go and see them because of the quarantines and on and on. And, some of them died alone in the hospital and just that kind of stuff. And, and there was just a sadness and a hopelessness settled down over many and even over the body of Christ. So there's a deep longing 
if we could just get back to where we were. And I'm in touch with a lot of our churches, and they, they tell the same thing. Our finances somehow or other managed to hold up, and yet there's so many people scattered, and the, the young people especially have gone off and this and that. And if we could just get back to where we were, we feel like we'd make it. And that's where David was this day. God, if we could just get our wives back and our kids back and our stuff back, I think we could make it. That was his expectation. But you know, God had something much greater in mind for David. Because no sooner had he returned from recovering all that stuff that he got word that the battle with the Philistines had occurred and Saul and Jonathan and his, Saul's sons had been killed in the battle. And this is sort of shocking news. Oh, now Israel's in trouble. But right after that, he gets word that Judah is calling you to be king over Judah. And so almost overnight, uh, from the worst day of his life, really, now he's made king over Judah. And seven years later, he's king over the whole nation. And so the lesson here is that you and I need to raise our sights a little bit and begin to expect great things of God. Because David was hoping to recover everything, but God had a regime change in mind. How many know God's big and he does things on a big scale and he loves, he loves to do stuff like that? This morning, Carol was telling us about the story of Joseph. And Joseph's final word to the, to the butler was, Remember me to Pharaoh. I'm, I'm unjustly here in this prison. So what's his hope and expectation? If I could just get out of jail. If I could just have a little bit of justice done. If someone could listen to my case. And I could get out of prison and, uh, I don't know, get on with my life. By this time, he's almost 30 years old. But what's God got in mind? Regime change. Joseph, you haven't been in here all this time for naught. You're going to be the number two ruler in the nation. And you're, and you're, you're going to rescue all of your family and, and your jealous brothers and save their, everybody's life. God's got big things in mind. And I want to remind you that he's got big things in mind for each of us. You know, I was told years ago that Oral Roberts used to have a sign on his desk. I don't know if you ever heard this, Seth. But that sign said this, Oral, you're not thinking big enough. And, you know, that really spoke to my heart. I think I scribbled something out and put it on my desk that said, John, you're not thinking big enough. And it was a help when it came time to really stretch and build a new church in Stratford and then really stretch and 
purchase a, a, a building in Toronto that would host our revival, way beyond our financial means. And yet, we have a big God, don't we? And so, we have to factor in, we're not operating in the natural here. We're operating in the supernatural. So David, in the, in the midst of his worst day, had the sense to inquire of the Lord. So I want you to just take a moment right now, in the midst of wherever you happen to be, heart-wise, and say, God, what is your dream for me? What is your plan for me? And you start with where you're at. Do we pursue? Yeah, go after them. And will we recover? Yes, recover everything. That's good enough for me. Let's go. And so off he goes, but he had no idea that it was going to be like a thousand times greater than what he was seeing and envisioning. Now, I think we've come through this COVID thing and, uh, you know, we've heard all the worst case scenarios and we've been locked down. And you know what? I, I couldn't get over it when that happened because we've got friends all over the world and I'd phone UK and I'd phone Germany and I'd phone Korea and I'd phone Australia and I'd phone here and there, Iceland and U.S. and phone everywhere. Yeah, we're locked down. We, we're quarantined in our homes and we can't go out and we can't go. And I'm like, God, this is unbelievable. What is happening to us? That the entire world <clears throat> has been locked down over this virus? I mean, did it shock any of you? It, it just infuriated me. And we started getting on, on Zooms and <clears throat> we sat there and do, doing Zooms day after day until our backs got sore. <laughs> and uh, it didn't matter whether I, I called over to Russia or Ukraine or Latin America, wherever it was, everybody's locked down. And I'm thinking, God, what are you preparing to do? And I didn't really get it until... I went to that church in Hamilton, Ontario, and they, as, they assigned that topic to me. And I began to think bigger. What's going on, God? And I could hear him faintly say, oh, I'm just setting the stage for something really, really good. Really, really big. And I said, I'd like to be a part of it if I may. I'd like to be a part of it. And so now I find that this is a, <clears throat> a recurring theme in Scripture. Uh, life can knock the heart out of your hopes and your expectations. And we need to recover, to some degree, the faith of our youth or the hope that we once had that nothing is impossible with God. And there seems to be a pattern. So 
like with David's life, you know, the anointing comes and it just takes you to a whole new level in God. And you're just doing really good for a while. But then the testing and the proving sets in. And uh, that testing can be so thorough that it can make you bitter or better. And what we want to settle tonight is that the testing that you might happen to be going through at the moment is going to make you better. And do you know how, how that works? You decide nothing is going to separate me from the love of God. And you begin to seek his face and, and inquire of the Lord and say, what do you want me to do? And then he begins to give you instructions. And I believe those instructions are going to come fast and furious in these, in these next few days because I don't know if you've noticed, but something is really, really up in the world right now. <clears throat> They're talking about a nuclear war the like of which I haven't heard that kind of talk for, I don't know, 30 years or more. That just kind of went away. The world wrote it off. That would be stupid of anybody to do that. But then it just takes one desperate, crazy person to, to get it going, doesn't it? And yeah, I'm reminded the book of Revelation says that unless... Those, those days of trouble were shortened. There would be no flesh uh, left alive on the face of the earth. And so we got some dark days coming up. But before that, I think we got some glory days. That's what I'm looking forward for. And once, once the Holy Spirit makes his move, then I don't really care what happens after that. And so the closer you, you get to old age, the, the, the less you worry about it because it's like, I'm at the end of my run anyway. So, yeah, bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. <clears throat> but Proverbs 13, verse 12 says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And uh, I want you to resurrect your hope tonight. I want you to get out the dream that this church is going to be so full of people that you'll have to have speakers on the outside because there won't be room to get them all inside. That, that did happen to us in Toronto, um, much to my shock and amazement. When the Holy Spirit exploded on us in January of 94, it was in the middle of winter. And yet, people would come and line up around the building, waiting for us to open the doors. And uh, we opened the doors about 10 o'clock Sunday morning for a 10.30 service. And they were lined up some days right, right around the whole industrial park, wanting to get in, in the freezing cold. Can you imagine that? <clears throat> then we got a bigger place, and the same thing happened. They were lined up all around, and I would, I would drive around the commu community, and there were cars parked everywhere, all over the streets and everything else, 
with people wanting to come to the revival. Hi, baby. And uh, I thought, God, this is mind-blowing. But we need to get that vision back again. I had a vision of a move of God that was a, a, pretty much a healing move this time. And there were fantastic healings happening. And there was so much traffic that the, the, the front of the building was gridlocked with cars. Two police outside with their hands in the air, just not knowing what to do. It was just so hopeless. And I try to hang on to that vision. And you know what? COVID did its best to knock that out of me. But now I got a hold of it again. And I'm believing God for the greatest move of the Holy Spirit that the world has ever seen. And I was telling the leaders yesterday that there's scriptures that say that. That God is going to move. Revelation 14 verse 14. Jesus is on a cloud with a sharp sickle, and he's waiting, and word finally comes out of the temple. Now, harvest the earth. The earth is ripe, ready. And it just says one statement, the earth was reaped. What's that going to look like, friends? This is the most exciting thing that you can ever imagine. With all of the people. Now, we had a little glimpse of how every one of our church members got activated and became dangerous, armed and dangerous with the Holy Spirit and were just looking for somebody to pray for. And our young people were right into the thick of it. And my goodness, people had come to Toronto and say, hey, I came to your meeting and you and Carol weren't there, but I don't even know who the speaker was. But when it was time to go for prayer on the lines, <clears throat> some little old lady came and said, may I pray for you? And laid hands on me, and that's all I remember. The lights went out, and I woke up about three hours later. Those kinds of stories. See, when, when the fire gets on you, you become armed and dangerous. And I don't want you to count yourself out. Say, oh, well, I'm too old now, or I'm just a housewife, or I've never been to Bible school, or I'm just a 12-year-old, or whatever it is you might say. Put all that aside and say, but God. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit and fire and send you out. You know, the, the book of Acts, I forget the reference, but they began to call the believers Christians first in Antioch. And Christian is a good word. Do you know what it means? It means little anointed one. Or little Christ. Christ is the same as the Hebrew Messiah, Mashiach, and it means the anointed one. And so you and I are called little anointed ones. Why did they start calling them that? Because they were anointed. And the river would flow when they prayed for people. And the fire would burn. And the, the oil would 
would cover them. And, you know, just the presence of God came on people. And I want us to get our dream back, friends. Turn to your friend and say, go get your dream back. <clears throat> you know why? Because we're thinking if we could just recover everything, we could get on with our lives. But listen, God's got a regime change in mind. He has a whole regime change in mind. And there's going to be a new world order, all right. But it's not the one that they're talking about with all the rich people and all that stuff. It's going to be led by King Jesus, and he's going to just set this world on fire. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, it is more sure than tomorrow's sunrise. Now, we fall into this honestly because... I don't think we properly allow for God to test our hearts. But he wants to test you so that you can come through the test victoriously. If you're going to be tested, how many want to pass the test? Okay. Now let me just tell you, you are going to be tested. Right? Life will test you. How many want to pass the test? All right, this is the only test that you can pass simply by making up your mind and saying, no matter what, I'm going to pass the test. And so over and over again. Now, Carol talked to us about Joseph this morning. What's going on in his life? God is preparing him to be a leader. How many want Joseph's anointing? Are you sure? <clears throat> the way you get it is the way he got it. And as near as I can figure out, not only is he rejected by all his brothers and everything, but he spent probably 10 years in prison, in an Egyptian prison. Uh. And he couldn't wait to get out, which is why he said to the cupbearer, have a word with Pharaoh and tell him about me in here. Two years more go by. And, but what's happening? He's learning to keep his heart right, and he's learning to forgive, and he's learning to serve uh, in the midst of his circumstances. And so just because you get a prophetic word doesn't mean it's clear sailing and a walk in the park. Joseph had his dreams. Hey, Joseph, you're going to be a ruler one day. Even your own brothers are going to bow down to you. He was so excited about it, he told them. <laughs> David, wow, you're going to be king of Israel one day. Tell him that when he's running from Saul with all those close calls. Hey, David, whatever happened to that word Samuel gave you? Eh, I don't know. We're just trying to stay alive, aren't we? You see how it goes? 
Another one of my favorites is, <clears throat> is, uh, is Saul, King, uh, uh, not King Saul, Paul and Silas, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, that he's praying about where he should go in the anointing. And he tries this one and the Holy Spirit says no and he wants to go here and the Holy Spirit says no. And he's, he's not getting an open door anywhere. So finally, he has a spiritual dream. And a man of Macedonia appears and says, come over here and help us. And he says, that's it, Silas, we're off. And the next day, they're on a boat and they, they sail to Philippi. <clears throat> well, it goes all right at first. They go down by the river. They find a little prayer meeting going on with Lydia there. She invites them into their house. And it's all going well. Until this annoying little slave girl kept saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And after three days of that, he ordered the spirit out of her. But now she can't tell fortunes anymore. And the slave owners have them arrested and beaten and thrown into prison. So there they are now with their feet locked down in the stocks. So what do you suppose they're saying to each other? Silas leans over. You and your stupid dreams got us into this. I told you it wasn't a good idea to go that far. Do you think he said that? Then he said, I have to go to the bathroom, and I can't move. And one of them says, I'm going to sing something. What are some of those old choruses that we used to sing back in the day? Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. I don't know. They start singing. Paul, you can't sing now. It's midnight. The, the, the other prisoners in here are trying to sleep. You have a little consideration. <clears throat> you know, I don't care. I, I just got to break through this heaviness and disappointment that's trying to get all over me. So they start to sing. And the next thing you know, an earthquake happens and all the prisoners are set free. The earthquake woke the jailer up and he realizes that all the doors are open and he's yelling, where's my sword? I'm going to kill myself. And Paul from way inside says, do yourself no harm. We're all here. That was the second miracle. Can you imagine every prisoner... The chains fall off, and all the doors are open, and they're all still there. What's going on? The supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit is resting on that place. He calls for a light, falls at his feet, and said, what must I do to be saved? <clears throat> and the next thing you know, they're in his house. A meal's being prepared. They're washing and treating their bruised, bleeding backs. And uh, 
everything starts to change. You see, you can press through on this. And when you're tested, make up your mind you're going to pass the test and God will get you to the other side. And so he, he comes then, that, you know, in the morning, hey, good news, the magistrates have said you can go. What's he do? Well, they have, have they? Well, you go back and tell them that they beat us, Roman citizens, by the way, without a proper trial or hearing. They just better get themselves out here and ask us nicely to leave. Wow, that changed everything. All of a sudden, you know, and, and he took his time. He went to say goodbye to Lydia and everything else and on their way. And it turned tragedy into a great victory. So this is, this is our God, friends. He wants to take your worst day and turn it into your best day. Do you think he can do that? What do you think was Jesus' worst day? Probably the cross. I think the hardest thing was when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened there? Have you ever thought it through? You know, when your sin and mine were placed upon that tortured body. And he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the sons of God. He became sin and the father said, I can't stay with you. And there was a short, <clears throat> short season there, two, three days maybe, where they were separated for the first time in all of eternity. I think that was his worst day. But the scripture says, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the sh shame, and now he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a champion, what a savior, what a leader. You know, if you're going to follow somebody, make sure they're smart and brave and um, capable and an, an apt leader and one who will push through with the difficult times and take you through to the other side. That's exactly what Jesus has done. That's what's Paul did, St. Paul, and that's what David did, and that's what Joseph did, and that's what you and I are going to do, isn't it? <clears throat> now, see, I think there's something to be said for steadfastness. You have to know the nature of God so that you can hang on, because if you think he's going to drop you at, at the least opportune moment, then I don't know how you can hang on with that, that kind of a belief. But he's not going to do that. Why? Because he's a good, good father. He's a good father. Turn to your friend and say, God's not going to drop you. 
He's got you. He's got this. <clears throat> you're going you're gonna to be successful even if you die trying. Because even death can't cancel out what God wants done. Ugh. What's your dream today? You got a dream? I look back to when my dream was way too small. And uh, I thought, wouldn't it be great, Carol, if we could be in the ministry one day and have a little church and help some people? And we went to Indonesia um, a year after we were married, and uh, we took a one-month mission trip over there, and we got wrecked by the love of those people. And on the way home, God called us into... Uh, ministry. And we told him, God, we can't just give our lives to business. We have to, we have to serve you. We have, have something to do. Please give us something to do. We'll do anything. We'll go anywhere. Have you ever told him that? And he said to me, good. I want you to go to Carol's hometown and plant a charismatic church because there isn't one in that city. And I was like, not there, surely not there. I was thinking Hawaii, someone in America, some, somewhere where they had less snow and whatever. But no, that's what he said. So we said, okay. You, be, you need to be careful what, what you let the Lord hear you saying. Because <clears throat> he might just take you up on it. But we went there and we started out, didn't we, babe? We had all these young people getting saved. And I tell my mom every, every, every week, Mom, we had eight young people saved again Sunday. We had seven saved. We had five saved. We had 12 saved. And she's like, this is phenomenal. This is absolutely amazing. And, and I just didn't clue in. I thought, I guess this is what happens when you start a church. Well... It happened to us, and, and we just grew it and grew it and grew it. And we were happy with that. I wanted to do a second one in Toronto, which we did. I think Carol told you we did both for five years. We do Stratford in the morning, drive to Toronto, and do it at 3 in the afternoon. And we did that for five years until we thought we were now, we got two churches unhappy with us. We got to make a decision and go one way or the other. And so the Lord let us do Toronto. And <clears throat> that was in the summer of, of 1992. And a year and a half later, revival exploded on us. And it was completely more than I had ever, ever considered in all of my life that would happen. I mean, Randy and I in conversation, we agreed. He has done exceeding abundantly above all we could have asked or even imagined. But now I'm catching up with a little bit. Now we have a dream again. 
And you know what it is? God is going to fill the earth with his glory. And I'm praying for this. The sooner the better as far as I'm concerned. But you know what? It will come in God's perfect time. I'm amazed at his timing. I wonder why he took so long to transition from Saul to David. He was working out in David how to be the kind of king and leader that would be a man after God's own heart. That's what takes the time, the character building. And all the stuff we went through, that was character building, getting us ready to lead a revival that spread across the globe, Seth. It just blows my mind when I think about it and hear others talk about it. And yet, when we did our first conference called Catch the Fire in October of 94, the, the bellowing prophetic word from the Lord through David Roos was, you have seen nothing yet. You have seen nothing yet. He said, I'm merely growing up a plant, and my winds will blow the seed to the ends of the earth. And that seed will grow and become the mightiest harvest and the mightiest army that the world has ever seen. <clears throat> so I'm trying to think a little bigger. If that's true, and God is going for the entire world, um, at least offering it in power to the entire world, we're going to see a harvest of a billion souls. Now that was a Bob Jones figure. I think it's a little bit light myself because there's coming up on 8 billion people on the face of the earth. <clears throat> I think Jesus should have at least half of them, don't you? And that would give us a 4 billion harvest. What's the population of New Zealand? 5 million people. What if, what if the Lord went after half of them? Where would the church put another 2.5 million people? What do you think? What would that do to your city? How many people here? About half a million? About half a million? All right. How many of them are saved? Ten percent? Maybe. So where are you going to put another... Yeah, 140,000. 240,000. Where are they going to go? Do you know where they're going to go? They're going to go to your house. And you're going to teach them. And you're going to lay hands on them and they're going to get it. And we are talking about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the like of which we've never really quite imagined. And uh, I read it to the guys yesterday. You'll find Peter quoting Joel in Acts chapter 2. 
And he said, uh, it shall come to pass in the last days. When? In the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. When will this happen? Before the coming of the Lord. So this is talking about the last final harvest. Jesus said, the harvest is at the end of the age, and the angels are the reapers. I'm just still working on that comment, because... I realized, you know what, John, you may not be needed. This, maybe it's all taken care of already. Maybe the angels can do it a whole lot better than we can. No doubt, right? But see, this, this is happening in our day, people. And, and the preparation is being made. And the testing that you're going through right now is testing you and preparing you for leadership so that you can lead, and not, not just for the end time harvest, but on into the millennium. I love what Jesus said in, uh, where is it? Um, Luke 19, verse 17. He's handing out rewards. You know, the church doesn't talk much about this. We think in terms of, I just want to make it in. That's all. You know, if I can just get to heaven and, and, you know, be there. How many want to go to heaven when you die, by the way? Wave excitedly. Yeah, we do. <clears throat> and sometimes we think, just getting there, that, that's enough for me. But no, Jesus taught us to be also um, expecting and planning for rewards. Rewards... It's, it's not a works thing in terms of salvation. That's all by grace. But rewards are based on what you've done for the kingdom, apparently. And to these guys in this scripture, he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities. I'm going to make you ruler over five cities, enter into the joy of your Lord. And so, what city or cities would you like to have authority over when we get into the kingdom of God here on earth? Anybody want Wellington? I said Lord, give me Toronto. I will sort it out for you really, really well. It would be my pleasure, my honor to sort that city out. Wouldn't that be great? 
to have the authority of heaven behind you and say, no, no, you will stop doing that and you, you will do this. And put people in position that have been faithful and that have been godly and that have passed the test and, and you know how to be righteous rulers. That's where this is going. Turn to your friend and tell him, his kingdom eventually is going to be on this earth for a thousand years. And it's going to be a wonderful place. It's going to be righteousness and peace. The Bible says the, the righteous will delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Imagine, no, no more corruption. <clears throat> I was just in Brazil a few weeks ago. And I said to the pastor... What percentage of your nation is born again? He says, well, including all the born again Catholics, I reckon about 70%. I said, 70%? That is fantastic. I said, what's it like to live in a country that has no crime and no criminals? At that, he began to laugh. And he said, well, we're not quite there yet. We still have our fair share of the criminal element. You see, but we're talking about 100% saturation. Because the unrighteous, they don't get in. Wow. All of this is coming to a grand climax right now in our days. I am convinced we're in the last of the last days. And I encourage you to start studying it yourself and read up on it and read the Bible. Read it all and tune in to those verses. Of, there's about 23 of them in the Gospels alone where Jesus references his return to the earth. That's great news, isn't it? Isn't it? How many are excited about the return of Jesus? And congratulations, you're one of the few churches that are preaching it these days. Wow. Have authority over many cities. Now there's a scripture that I want to leave you with, 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Whose heart is totally given and yielded to him. Not that you're perfect, but that your heart is in love with him. Now that's an amazing verse of scripture. And it was said to uh, King Asa when when he failed a test because instead of trusting the Lord to defeat the invading army, he went and started making treaties with neighbors and everything else to gather an army on his own. And the prophet of the Lord came and said that verse and said, you know, you failed the test. Don't you remember back in the day when you trusted the Lord and you defeated that great army that had come against you? 
How could you have forgotten that? Now that you've done this, you know, the enemy has escaped out of your hand. And you, you passed on a great opportunity to really have a win. And uh, he was so upset with the prophet that he put him in prison. You know, a lot of people, when, when they get a rebuke, they punish the messenger. But it was, that was coming from the Lord for him. But the truth still stands. The eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those through whom he can show himself strong. If you want to be one of those people, just raise your hand right now. If you want to be one of those people, stand to your feet right now. And let me tell you how it works. It's not done in the flesh. It's done in the spirit. Where you and I, little, you, little old you and little old me, we somehow come and present ourselves before the Lord. And, and some little old lady comes along and said, may I pray for you? And fire comes out of her hand and blasts you in the deep places of your spirit. And you get energized and a gift of faith comes into your heart and an anointing comes into your life. And you begin to say things like nothing is impossible with God. Not because uh, it depends on you or me, but because it depends on him working through us. So that's why we say Friends, never get tired of getting another fill-up of the Holy Spirit. Never, ever get tired of that. Why? Well, you cannot overdose on the Holy Ghost. There are no toxic levels of the Holy Spirit. The more you get, the better it is. And, and, and if you get filled up every day, it's a very good thing. <sighs> Isn't it? Yeah. Tell him, Lord, I want more. It's been good up to here. This has been a great church. But I absolutely want more of your Holy Spirit to come and fill me. I want you to give me a vision of me graduating from my advanced leadership training course and becoming a leader in the kingdom of God, both here and there in the millennium. Because you, Lord, are so great that nothing is impossible with you. Fill him. Fill them all. I ask, Lord, for a wave of heaven to go through this room. And I ask that nothing would stop the Holy Spirit. Nothing stops you, Holy Spirit. You are God, the Holy Spirit. And you want to move in this church. 
And the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro in this place, looking for those through whom you may show yourself strong. Bless these young people, I pray. Fill them up, Lord. Fill them up. Fill them up. Fill them up. Fire on you right here. Come on, young people, step forward and say, I'm going to be one of those who go for it. We're going to be those who step forward and we're going to go for it. God, nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with you. And we surrender to your will, Father. Whatever it is you want us to do. Fire on this young man. Double it on him. Yeah. Increase it, increase it, increase it. More than he can manage, I pray. Let fire burn on him. Everything you want out, it goes out now. And everything you want in, it comes in now. From head to toe. Oh, the weight of heaven upon you. Yes. Yes. I saw you do that tonight on him. Jesus. Bless these children. Bless you, young man. Oh, Father. You know, there's been revivals. There was a revival in France. They called the the prophet, the French prophet's revival, where even little babies less than a year old were prophesying. They couldn't even talk yet. And they prophesied. Isn't that amazing? You could do that, couldn't you? The Holy Spirit can do it through you. Father, I ask you to fill these children up. Fill them up and fill this mother up. In Jesus' mighty name. Now we're going to have a time of general prayer. But I, I think there's people here that need a healing touch as well. How many of you need a physical healing? How many of you need a sort of a mental healing or a, you know, discouragement or sadness or... I don't know, maybe, maybe you're on medication. That's okay. Better that than, than not. But God wants to heal that. How many of you need a healing? Wave at me. Unashamedly. I need a healing. I do. Carol and I are always needing a healing for this, that, and the other. And the Lord is good. Okay. Here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to appreciate something Jesus said very clearly, and it's this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? That means heaven is within your reach. That means your little step of faith, really, would be to reach out and touch it and take a hold of it. And, I, and, and here's, 
here's something to think about. There is no sickness in heaven. There's none. Now, I don't care if you've had prayer 50 times. Let's turn the page and let's believe God tonight. All right? Because nothing's impossible with him. I want you to know it is absolutely the will of God to heal you and heal me. Absolutely. You know what the sister said to Jesus? If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And he knew that too. Well, we did, the, we did it this way for the glory of God, you know. But every person in the meetings that Jesus was leading was healed. Healed them all. He healed them all. Says it over and over again. He healed them all. So, if Jesus healed them all, and yet he never did one thing out of the will of God. Remember he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. He healed them all. It must be the will of God to heal everyone. Well, the question quickly comes, well, why isn't everyone healed then? Well, that is a, a, a difficult question to answer thoroughly. But there are reasons. Maybe it's your time to die. I don't know. I hope not. But that would be one. But there are those kind of reasons. But apart from that, it is absolutely the will of God to heal you tonight. Can you take a hold of that? And, and you don't need to analyze it. You can analyze it tomorrow. But for now, I want you to just settle it. God wants to heal me. And his time is always now. He's the great I am. And so he wants to heal you tonight. And so... What we're going to do is lend our hands to him and we're going to reach up like five-year-olds and say, come on, kids. The kingdom of heaven is within your reach right there. And so by faith, I want you to reach up, get up on your toes if need be, but get your hands up into that realm of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God. And get that fiery love all over your hands. Get that electricity all over your hands. That presence that we're talking about. That you are going to live in and walk in. And serve him in. And just enjoy it for a moment. Oh, Lord, I love that anointing. I love the feel of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now bring your own hands down and lay them on your body where you have a need. Your head, your shoulder, your stomach, your knees, your toes, your hips, your lungs, your sinuses, your ears, your eyes, whatever it is. And say this after me. 
This healing belongs to me. It belongs to me. Because of what Jesus has done. At the whipping and at the cross. I receive my healing right now. In the name of Jesus. As a free gift of his love. Now breathe it in right there. Somebody's breathing just opened up right, right while we're praying. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Stomach problems being, being touched. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, I worship you. I worship you. Touch those knees, Father, in Jesus' name. Open up the, that nasal passage. Let them breathe normally in Jesus' mighty name. Father, ears open, eyes dimly seeing. Open up that vision for them right here in the mighty name of Jesus. Arthritis in the hands going by the power of God. Lord, I worship you. I worship you. That you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And nothing is impossible with you. And you're going through the whole earth looking for someone through who you can show yourself strong. Tell him, here I am, Lord. Find me. Use me. Show yourself strong through me. I believe it's true. Now I want you to check yourself. And if you had symptoms of pain or immobility and you feel like, wow, we're getting somewhere here. This is, the pain's diminished. My mobility's getting better and better. Just move that shoulder in Jesus' name. Move those knees. Check it out. Check those hips. Wherever the pain was. Say, Lord, I'm having it. It is the will of God. I'm having it all over this room. Father, I pray there will be many that receive a healing tonight at the touch of heaven. Now, if you feel like something is going on in my physical body, I want you to wave excitedly right now. Maybe you're 10% better, maybe you're 50% better, maybe you're 100% better. I don't know, but wave excitedly like you were Mexican or something. <laughs> like, wow, something's happening to me. Come on, wave your hand. Are we streaming And if you are going to watch it on video at a later date, you take it as well because... Amazing, the anointing gets recorded. I learned that because I was asking the Lord, how do you record the anointing? It was puzzling me. And he said, John, hold up your Bible. And I held it up. And he said, this is a recording. And the penny dropped, you know, I finally got it. When God is breathing on it, that thing can be eternal. Well, if you're feeling something just happened to you, 
I want you to step into the nearest aisle and quickly come to the front, and we'll take a few testimonies here. All right? What happened to you, young man? Your ear, what happened? It was gone, and now it's back again. How long was it gone? 24 hours. What happened? Just infection? Whatever. Just sore and everything. Now it's all gone. What? Just sore and sore. can't really hear much. Now it's back together. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for opening his ear. What happened to you, my dear? Um, I had a sore shoulder during the session. Yes. And, and I came up here and I started moving it and praying over it and it's gone now. How long have you had that? Just today. Well, just one day. Thank you, Father. What happened to you? I just felt a slight fever coming on before and a blocked nose. And when you said what you said, I did it. And I believed it. Then it's gone. So I give all the glory to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? See, what does it tell you? It tells you he sees you, he knows you, he loves you. Fill her, fill her, fill her. Now, there was a whole lot of hands waving. Where are you? Come on. We want to hear what God is doing. Quickly, get out of your seat and come on up. What happened? Well, um, I'd been healed from a cold before, but I caught another one because we had mold in our bathroom, and I felt like my nose was unblocked again, so God healed me again. So you can breathe better. In my nose, yeah. Take a deep breath for me. Almost all, almost all the way. All of it, Father. Almost all gone. Take the rest of it in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. I'm trusting God for the rest, too. Yeah. So just breathe him in right now. Just receive it. Yeah. There you go. What happened with you, sir? I have a steel plate in my ankle, broken ankle many years ago. And I suffer a lot of discomfort from it, a lot of pain. And when I was sitting over there, I was really in a lot of pain. And now it's almost gone. It's almost gone. So how much is left, would you guess? Very small. Just a little. Like 10%? Less. Five. About 5% of the pain left. Isn't that amazing, friends? But you know what? We could say, well, great. Be, be happy. 5% left. I mean, good for you. No, the Lord is at 100% God, isn't he? And, and, and I want you all to be encouraged by this. Because when you start praying for people at work, on the street, next door, wherever they are, you're going to find that they seem to get a little bit better initially. 10%, 20%. And that's typical, isn't it, Carol? That's what we see. And so we press in on that. And so he's still got 5% left. So Carol taught us about forgiveness this morning. And that applies even in the physical areas. So now I have a question for him, okay? If you don't mind. How did you injure your ankle? I climbed up on a ladder to work on a roof. Um, someone had a problem with a TV antenna. And the ladder slipped out and I fell and broke my ankle. It's about 15 years ago. Broke your ankle. So, hmm, whose fault was it that you broke your ankle then? Your own. So you, you should have been more careful securing the ladder. Is that what you mean? All right. 
Did you ever forgive yourself for that? Probably not, see? Because we don't think of it, do we? But the way the enemy works, healing is flowing in this area called grace. And so when we attach blame, now that's at a justice level. And we want to always step out of the justice level into the place called grace because that's where the river flows. So just for fun, say it with me, Lord. Lord. I forgive myself right I now. For, I forgive myself right now. For not being more careful. For not being more careful. And securing the ladder. And securing the ladder. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And heal me now totally. And heal me now totally. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All right, stretch your hands toward him. We'll practice on him, okay? Father, take it all from this dear man. Every bit of pain goes from him now. As you overwhelm him with your Holy Spirit, Check it one more time. Tell me if we're getting anywhere. Feels warm. That's good. Is there any pain left? Just on one edge. Walk over to that wall right there and back, but keep saying to him, thank you, Jesus, for healing me now over and over and over again. All right? Thank you, Jesus, for healing me now. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me now. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me now. Right now, right now, thank you for your mercy on me. How's that doing? Way better. So are we there? I think so. Father, just for fun, take the metal out of his ankle. It would probably feel a lot better if you take the metal out. You know, it's amazing when you start seeing those kind of miracles where metal comes out of their back. Randy Clark, he loves those. He, he goes for those all the time. And uh, can you feel the metal in your ankle? Um, usually no, but sometimes... Well, you have like a good look cold. for it, right? Yeah. And see... Let's give God a big hand for him. Who else came up? Did you folks come up with something happened? All right, good. What's happened with you, my dear? I have arthritis in my left hip. You what? I have arthritis, or had arthritis in my left hip. So I've had hip replacement on the right, and over the last year, the left hip has started getting really sore. And tonight... Um, as we laid our hands on the sore part, when I took my hand off, I thought, oh, there's still fire. So I thought, I'll put that back on again. And it feels so much better. It's only, it started being really quite sharp, quite a sharp pain, but it's much better. So it's much better. Another one that's much better. You actually had to push. I sat back down and said, thank you, Lord. And then I thought, no, you had to. I have to go forward and share. Because if you come up like this, we'll keep going, yeah. right? 
How much better is it? It's probably about 95 to 100% better. I don't feel like I've got a sharp pain. And that was normally... So what are you feeling? Nothing. Nothing. No pain at all. None. Well, what if you don't need the hip replacement? What if he takes the metal out of the other side? <laughs> yeah, he better put bone back in. Right, right, right. Well, Lord, thank you for touching her here. This is so good. Fire on you. Whoa. Were you expecting something like this tonight? No, it's just, you see, we weren't thinking big enough, were we? That's it. Remember that sign Oral Roberts had? What's your name? Amy. Amy? You're not thinking big enough. Great big God, Amy. What happened to you, young man? So I've had an injured shoulder for the last six months or so and have really struggled to do some movements, and now I have full, complete range of motion. No pain at all. Yeah. None at all. How did you hurt it? Uh, I was in the gym and just lifting weights, and it just popped and tore something in it, yeah. Do you think you were overdoing it a little bit in the gym? Probably. No pain, no gain kind of stuff. Wow. I'm really happy for you. Yeah, all the glory, all the glory to God. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for touching this young man. Let this shoulder be absolutely stronger than ever. Amen. Yo, what happened with you? I um last Wednesday I had a very sharp pain in my left side of my chest. Um, I was working from home, and then you know I was like. You know, kind of worrying a little bit. So I searched on Google, was like, what are the symptoms of a heart attack, you know? <laughs> and um, it wasn't a heart attack, from, but it had similar things, um, symptoms. But then I remember thinking, oh, I got a, th a word in my spirit. It's like, this is a spiritual attack. And I um, prayed against it, and I was no longer, you know, crunched over when I walked or with something. So I could go back to life as normally. Um, but then, I, you know, when I breathed in real heavily, or like real deeply, I could feel that pain was still there. Um, but after the prayer, the the, the pain's that sharp pain's gone. So, yeah, mm, praises. So see what what you're learning is not how to receive like one healing, but how to walk it out when other things come along and and try to get on you, right? And so you're saying, hang on a minute, I'm not having that, and you begin to take authority over them, and so. You and I, we step into the spiritual authority that God has given us, and we begin to be little anointed ones and take authority over it just like Jesus would do. You know, John chapter 14, verse 12, is a great verse for all of us. Father, I thank you for touching this young man and healing him, and all the pain goes out of him and stays out in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Great. What's happened with you? Oh, wow. I've had, had the last five weeks has been unbelievable. My tenant moved out of my property, um, bought a house, and so I had to make a decision, do I, do I rent, do I sell? So I've decided to sell, and I've just never worked so hard in all my life. And so yesterday I hit the wall after, together with my son, this is my son, there's my spiritual son, he, um, we painted a a hundred meter fence, wasn't it? A hundred meters of fence yesterday and I had pain all on my back yesterday uh -huh. and all today as well. And then thanks to Carol, 
we decided to soak with your, you know, with your example and your demonstration of soaking. So we soaked before we came here because we didn't even know about this this afternoon. And because I watched your video, um, I was like, I'm coming. We, we're going. And I had other arrangements. but And the pain's gone in my back. And because it's been such an emotional whole ordeal that I've gone through for the last five weeks, it's like you've been, what you've been sharing about is letting go and just surrendering everything to God and selling my house as a final step because I'm setting up a deliverance, healing and deliverance ministry for New Zealand. And I'm building a bridge between Wellington and Christchurch and New Zealand and Australia at the moment, but God's giving me nations. So, and you said, you know, does anybody want the city? God told me six years ago to take the city. And he said, I'm making you into a forerunner. He said, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I've been up the front at church, prophetic dancing, rocking the boat in, in, the, in the churches, but the time is now. And I totally agree with you that, look, the Holy Spirit's on me now. <laughs> yeah, that, um, yeah, oh, that's it. <laughs> What's up with you, young man? Uh, I had a bit of a sore heart, like a real sore heart. It felt like my heart was like a knife. Someone's sticking a knife oh. into your heart. And, um, yeah, it just feels so much, so much better now. Like, ever so since much I, better. Yeah. Is, it, is it totally better, or what do you think? Totally better, or what do you think? Hello? <laughs> Lord, you want to fill this young man with your fiery love. Lord, I ask you to teach him how to be naturally supernatural. Kind of like Jesus was. He was normal enough to people that he had conversations with. And you're on him right now. I feel like the Lord is saying he He's going to use you, young man. As you surrender to his love, Father, give him a revelation of the Father's heart and the Father's love for him. That in spite of everything, he's your boy. I ask you to come upon him now. Fill him up with holy fire. Ooh, Shabbat. In Jesus' name. Take all that pain out of his heart. As he forgives everyone that has hurt him or betrayed him or abandoned him. And realizes that no one owes him anything because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is enough. Fire on that spine. 
How many people in the room are like 25 or under? Have we got any, any more? 25 or under? If you guys want prayer, I want to invite you to come on up right now. We'll just, we'll just start with you. I think we're going to pray for everyone tonight, right, Seth? Yeah. But you know what, young people? There's no one better equipped to win your generation than you guys. <clears throat> and uh, so don't defer to the older generation, guys like Seth and I and others. I want you to step up. You know, most revivals in the world have been led by young people. Evan Roberts, when he started in Wales, he was 28 years of age, but he was by far the oldest one on his team. His sister, the main worship leader, was 16. And the disciples of Jesus, I mean, he was likely the oldest one at 30 years of age, and they were all, yeah, somewhere in their 20s, likely, maybe younger. And so young people are the ones that gather up their courage and they go for it without thinking, wait a minute, how are we going to survive and how are we going to live and where's the money coming from and everything else. They're much more comfortable trusting God. Come a little closer in a nice straight line here. Carol, come and help me when you're in the clear. And I want to say one other thing. I have found that when it comes to the anointing with Western young people, they're a little bit hesitant because they don't think it's cool to fall down and shake and stuff. And their friends might comment and go, ha, oh, you really got it, didn't you, or whatever. I want you to know something. The greatest thing that could ever happen to you is for the Holy Spirit to fall mightily on you and you get seized by the anointing and you be out of it for like three or four hours. It would radically change your life. And I want you to set your heart on it and go for it because there's nothing more uh, disappointing than trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in, in the church. You know, just get sold out. Because we are coming up to the time of the greatest move of God in the history of this planet. I kid you not. And you can look around and see the, the problems in the world. It's like the wheels are falling off the earth, aren't they? And... Yeah, the war in Ukraine and the rioting in Iran and on and on we could list the stuff that's going on. But God's up to something and he's getting ready for the greatest move of all. Now one more, one more little fact for you. 90% of the church comes to Christ, gets saved at 25 or under. 90%. And so, it becomes a no-brainer to win the lost. Make friends with young people. 90% of them 
come into the kingdom under the age of 25, 25 or under, 90% of them come into the kingdom through the influence of a friend. Usually not a parent, a friend. So it's a no-brainer. Make friends with young people and then be armed and dangerous with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lay hands on them and send that anointing into them using your authority as a believer. And let's have a harvest of thousands of young people in this city. Wouldn't that be cool? And you can lead the way. I mean, you, your pastor and senior leader here, Seth, he's an example to the world of someone who is unashamed of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I really admire him for that. My wife's like that, too. I mean, she, she gets blasted in the most unusual places. And so let's all stand, stretch our hands toward these young people right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just set each and every one of them apart for the glory of God, for you to come and use them for your glory. And those who are not quite 25, I mean, you're 26 or 27, we include you too. And anybody who's young, in my, in, in my perspective, is anybody under 40, really. But, but still, Lord, I thank you for these young people. And when we lay hands on you, I don't want you to pray in tongues because it's about drinking and it's hard to drink and talk. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And then out of his innermost being, rivers of living water would flow. You find that in John chapter 7. And so, Lord, we are hungry and we are thirsty tonight. And I ask you to fill these precious young people, filled, filled, filled with your fire. Let the anointing come on him. Again and again, Father God. Again and again, Father God. Fill her, fill her, fill her, fill her. Oh, yeah. Up we go, Holy Spirit. Let the river of heaven flow on them. Oh, yeah, breathe it in by faith, not just air. Breathe in the anointing. Breathe in anointed air. Shara. Lord, we bless them to just drink of you. Let it come. Fill them up. Fill them up. Seth, why don't you come and help us pray for these people and, uh, and Paul and, and, and all of you. Come and help us pray for these amazing young people here that have come out tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you. We bless you. Fire on them, Lord God. Let it come. Father, help us to yield to that glory that comes upon us right here. In the mighty name of Jesus, we choose to yield to you. I'm from Vancouver. Come on, really? 
Are you Why? here visiting? No, I'm still We live here now. Oh, wow. Well, drink deeply, won't you? Yeah. Fill her up, Lord God, more than she can manage. Increase it, increase it, increase it, increase it, increase it. In Jesus' precious name. More on you. Keep drinking. I'll be back. Mm. Fire on him, Lord. Fire of God on her right here. Fire on these two precious ones. In the name of Jesus. Drink, drink, drink. Yeah. And as we say, drink, don't think. You can analyze it tomorrow. How are you doing? Good? How's that rash doing? Take it all, Father. In the name of Jesus, take it all. Take it all. Take it all. 